0: Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham.
1: And I'm Kathleen.
0: We are from LoadingReadyRun.com.
1: Oh, what are we this week?
0: Leather workers.
1: Oh, excellent. Okay, so we fashion leather into high-quality goods uh, for the man who is conscientious about how he looks. We have a a wide variety of belts, uh, wristlets, and uh, bondage gear available at our Etsy store. If you heard a motorcycle going by, it's just to prove how bondagey we... Okay, I'm done.
0: How are you going to get this back to comedy like you usually do?
1: That's your job this week.
0: Oh, um, also we're funny.
1: Yeah, we're actually professional comedians.
0: You wouldn't know it, but you could find out at LoadingReadyRun.com if you're interested. Today, however, we are here to tell you all about the wonderful world of Magnum P.I., that wonderful show from the 1980s. Exciting episode coming up this week, but before we get to that, two pieces of sort of housekeeping, I guess you'd say. First of all, some sad news for our American listeners. We have been informed by many of you on Twitter and various other social medias that Magnum P.I. is leaving American Netflix in July, is all we've been told. So those of you who have been watching along with us on Netflix will be kinda SOL, apparently, unless you have some other option. Someone was asking, what will be the fate of the Magnum Rewatch podcast when this happens? Well, we don't have it on Canadian Netflix. We've been watching the DVD set, which we bought from the internet. The second piece of housekeeping is we're taking the podcast on a three-week hiatus through the month of July. So this will be the last episode for the next three weeks, and we'll be back on the week of Monday, July 20th. We'll miss you, and I hope that you'll be able to live through those Magnum Rewatchless weeks.
1: However, what can you do in those three weeks while we're not here telling you about the adventures of Magnum and Rick and TC and Higgins?
0: Train a pair of dogs and name them Zeus and Apollo.
1: I mean, that's an ambitious schedule, but I was going to say, if you wanted, if you order it now, you can get all of Magnum on DVD for the price of $82.90 because it's 51% off right now.
0: We should really get an affiliate link.
1: No kidding. <laughs> that's probably the cheapest way to get Magnum or uh, YouTube. Uh, for some of the episodes,
0: I can tell you season two is not there.
1: Graham, do you know you can buy the complete series of Magnum, the complete series of murder she wrote, and the complete series of Columbo, all three bundled together for only two hundred and fifty nine dollars and eighty eight cents.
0: That's a lot of money.
1: Yeah, I mean, Columbo's okay. I don't know how murder she wrote is. It's not my jam. not mine either if anybody knows anyone who does a murder she wrote uh rewatch podcast though like let us know so we can uh team up with them because there's a crossover episode coming
0: yeah i think it's going to be a stretch to find a murder she wrote one
1: if you want to start a murder she wrote podcast
0: why I'm sorry, that's not fair. We're doing a Magnum podcast.
1: Magnum's pretty good.
0: It's this, especially this episode. This episode is number 22. It's called From Moscow to Maui. And it's the first really excellent episode of this season, I think.
1: Oh, thank God. I was starting to get worried. If the first three episodes of the second season had been the first three episodes of the first season, like if we had seen those three first, Mm -hmm. I don't know if Graham would have respected what my decision to do a Magnum rewatch podcast.
0: I would have gone in much harsher on the show
1: i do want to say though according to magnum mania this episode only has a rating of 7.8
0: i don't understand that
1: i don't understand we
0: make our own rules here
1: no but i actually looked up the magnum mania rating system it starts at five so you know (laughs) it only goes five to ten
0: really (laughs) yeah well i guess five is
1: an absolute garbo toilets and ten out of ten is perfect but you know what episode they loved because it was a showcase of wacky magnum stuff Beauty knows no pain. Oh, no. They were like, I will. I use this episode to show it to my friend. And they are like, that's your introduction to Magnum? No!
0: I kind of like that a website that is solely dedicated to the fandom of a given show is like, look, we are never going to go below a five. Let's be honest.
1: It, it's a startling admission, yes.
0: I like that. This one I really liked, and it opens with
1: jets. This is an extremely expensive looking shot.
0: <laughs> it's super expensive. It opens seriously with jets being scrambled from the naval base there's a naval major coming in being like what do we got what's going on here and people like we've got a bogey on the the radar it's lots of jargon and terminology being thrown around is it real who knows naval people probably know but the point is i don't know and it sounds cool
1: basically these two american jets come up and they intercept what they realize <gasps> is a soviet jet and, uh, they can't communicate with him, but then the Soviet jet puts his landing gear down and he actually lands at the naval base. And it's like, holy crap, what's going on here? It
0: gets very tense before that. Old. They're like, are we going to shoot them? Are we going to not? They're doing aerial maneuvers. They've, it's all very Top Gun because, you know, it's the Cold War. This is
1: Top Gun before Top Gun. Top Gun didn't come out till 86. I know.
0: It's really cool. It's all very tense in the control room and the major finally gives the order, let him land. And so the two American F-4s flank him and force him into, not force him, but escort him into a landing and he lands at the naval base.
1: And then like all of these like vehicles filled with men with guns pile out and then he gets out, salutes the general who's come to see what the heck is happening and he's like,
0: I request political asylum and then he pats the plane and says, this is for you. That's pretty exciting. They refer to a Soviet MiG. This plane is actually not a MiG. They refer to MiGs, but as it turns out, and you can see this really obviously in the wide shot with all three of the planes coming into land, all three of the planes are identical. They're F4C Phantom 2s, uh which are American planes, because unsurprising that they wouldn't have access to a MiG in 1981, but tell me all about the MiG.
1: Okay, well, they refer to it as a mig thirty which is not a real thing. I tried to find it and I was like double checking to make sure I hadn't misheard. But here's the deal with the MiGs. The MiGs always had odd numbers. So there's a MiG-29 and there's a MiG-31. So a MiG, aka a Foxhound, if you're using the NATO name for it, which is so cool, MGS, is a supersonic interceptor aircraft developed by the Soviet Union. And it is one of the fastest combat jets in the world, or the Russian Air Force and the Kazakhstan Air Force are still using them.
0: It should be mentioned that at the end of the episode, uh, they say, we gratefully acknowledge the cooperation of the Hawaii Air National Guard during the filming of this episode. Do you want be, to, Which would be where they got the F-4 Phantoms from.
1: Do you want to hear something really interesting about this?
0: About the MiGs?
1: Well, I mean, the MiG is a, a fighter jet. But here's something very interesting about what our main character... What's this guy's name, actually? We find out later in the episode. Yuri Dolgov. Yeah, but what Yuri is actually doing, he is defecting. Yeah. And as many people probably know, it was very hard to get out of the Soviet Union or the Eastern Bloc. Uh, so there's a lot of stories about people who like defected kind of spectacularly. They would slip away while they were doing a sports meet or they, you know, snuck out under cover of night, you know, on a like a state-sponsored trip or something like that. And as a result, it became very difficult to actually defect However, did you know about 500,000 people defected or got out of the Soviet Union between the formation of the Soviet Union in 1982?
0: That's a lot.
1: There is a whole Wikipedia article that just lists famous defectors. But from, Canadian, from a Canadian point of view, Mikhail Baryshnikov, famous Russian ballet dancer, defected while he was dancing in Toronto. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of exciting. That was a really big deal. You know, super well-known hockey player, Sergei Fedorov?
0: Oh, yeah. Won
1: three Stanley Cups? Yeah. Defected in 1990. Really?
0: So I have a question.
1: But wait, I have one more really cool defector story. This is all just the preamble. Do you know that Yuri was probably influenced by a real-life person? Probably really? takes its inspiration from real life. I mean, I can't say it because I, had I had no no idea. interviewed the writer... But there is a guy named Viktor Belenko. And Viktor Belenko was a Russian fighter pilot with the 513 Fighter Re- Regiment. And he was based in the sort of the eastern part of Russia. However... Okay, you're like, what does that mean? He became known worldwide on September 6th, 1976, when he successfully defected to the West, flying his MiG-25 jet fighter to Hakodate, Japan.
0: That's really cool.
1: So this actually happened, that, that he got to Japan and was like, I want to defect here, have my fighter jet.
0: So that... That's real. That makes a lot more sense to me, because I had a question about this. Did they say in the intro where because we assumed it was hawaii did they say where that was or where he was flying from no because the combat radius of a mig 31 combat radius refers to the distance from an airbase that a fighter can fly to and patrol and fly back from the combat radius is 900 miles so, so there's no way he could have gotten not, to Hawaii. So if you're not flying back, you can get 1,800 miles, but there's nothing in range.
1: But you could get to Japan.
0: You could certainly get to Japan. This is not to say there's nothing within 1,800 miles of Hawaii, but there's nothing Russian. There's no, there's no air bases.
1: There's no way a MiG would have gotten there. So do you want to hear something really funny, though? Yes. So Victor Belenko defects. He's granted US citizenship, he actually gets a trust fund set up for him so he's able to live quite comfortably. Moves to the US, marries a wife, has a couple kids, becomes an aerospace engineer, he's living the good life. So what happens to his plane? They take it apart, they examine it, and uh, but eventually they're like, well, we should probably give it back to the Soviet Union because while the Cold War was a war it was also a cold war and you did not want to do things like piss off the other side too much
0: it would be bad manners
1: so the japanese government because they of course had the plane laid out a plan to return the aircraft in crates basically shipping it from hitachi to the soviet union However, they were going to bill the Soviet Union $40,000 for crating services and airfield damage at Hakodate.
0: Tell me the Soviets were like, you know what, keep the plane.
1: No, 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 no. The Soviets then unsuccessfully tried to negotiate the return via a different aircraft and sort of organized an inspection of the crates. They're like, fine, but we don't want you to ship it to it. We'll, we'll come and pick it up, I guess. And uh, Japan was like, absolutely not. We are not letting you come here, and you don't get to inspect the crates. And finally, the Soviet Union was like, well, I guess we'll... uh, Fine. So it left in 30 crates and arrived about three days later in Vladivostok. And all these Soviet technicians are like, freaking finally. And they get it open, get all the crates open, and they find there's 20 missing parts. One of which is the film of the flight to Hakodate. So they're like... Um, no. So the Soviets then send Japan back a bill for $10 million.
0: $10 million.
1: No, no No bills were settled. So I guess Japan never got its 40000 and the Soviet Union never got its $10 million.
0: But I guess the Soviet Union never got its plane either.
1: No, no, they got the plane. They got most of the plane. They got the plane with several important parts missing, but most of it... Fair enough. They probably had spares. They could have put it back into operation. Yeah, right. By the way, a senior diplomat described the Soviet position as... And this is a direct quote, sulky about the whole affair.
0: I actually just stepped away to check through the magic of audio editing, and they don't say where the opening scene takes place. So I guess it's not meant to be Hawaii.
1: I mean, it could be an American air force base in Japan.
0: Somewhere within within flying range of Russia.
1: The point being, this is I think it's really cool that this is inspired by something that actually happened in real life. And while it's incredibly obscure trivia now, I bet people watching Magnum would be like, I remember when that happened because it was huge international news.
0: Yeah, only five years earlier. So from the scene of Yuri Dolgov defecting on the airstrip, we go to Magnum out for a swim and complaining that things have not been great at the moment. He hasn't even had a divorce case to look into. TC hasn't had much luck with island hoppers recently. There's even been a few people who've left the Kamehameha Club because of a rival club. So
1: everybody's got a lot of free time on their hands, basically.
0: Yeah, Magnum's been using it to keep in shape as we see him swimming, and uh, Rick and TC have been using it to build sandcastles, literally, on the beach and argue about how certain battles in Vietnam went down. (laughs)
1: I know Magnum is like can't you talk about something more uplifting and fun like taxes or venereal disease or something like that I don't know if he actually says venereal disease but that's the impression like
0: they've built these little castles and they're using shells to indicate where the various troops were stationed and they're arguing about who remembers which and Higgins enters and harasses Magnum for not leaving a note that he's going to be down at the water because it makes it very difficult for Higgins when someone comes to visit looking for Magnum he actually makes a joke about a serving officer like someone who's gonna to serve magnum with some sort of legal papers
1: it's not though it's just a prospective client but he really gets magnum's goat
0: yeah magnum says later he's like that was actually like way less funny to me than higgins was because i've made a lot of enemies through doing private investigation
1: spoiler he's gonna make more
0: yeah but after magnum leaves that scene higgins takes one look at the collection of sandcastles and shells and stuff that rick and tc have set up immediately recognizes it as a recreation of a battle situation and
1: identifies it as sevastopol
0: yeah but not the one they're talking about he just goes oh sevastopol except you've put the cavalry in the wrong it should be over here that was sevastopol and rick and tc sort of look at one another as if to say what is happening here.
1: They're just like, okay.
0: So Magnum goes inside. He's a little embarrassed because he's got a half-drunk beer and a towel and he's in his swim trunks. I
1: love that Magnum hydrates after a workout with a beer.
0: And inside, he meets the man we know as Yuri Dolgov, except he hands Magnum a business card, introducing him as a Swedish pharmaceutical executive by the name of someone else. It did The
1: name is said once and never comes up again. He is terrible at keeping a cover, apparently. Well, yeah,
0: he immediately says, except that's not my name, I'm not Swedish, and... Or, I mean, or rather, just, he says, that is not my name. I am not Swedish and I am not a pharmaceutical executive.
1: I am the Terminator. I am
0: Yuri Dolgov and I am Russian. Magnum asks, why do you have this business card? And he says, because that's my cover. It was given to me by your intelligence. I defected a year ago. So this is a year after the scene that we just saw. And he needs Magnum's help. Why would he need Magnum's help? Well... It doesn't
1: have all the resources of the CIA.
0: You would think so. Except we mentioned earlier about being polite in the instance of a cold war and the reason he needs magnum's help is because his fiancee who is a russian track star is on hawaii for an international track competition and she wants to defect with him and magnum says well why can't you just get your friends at intelligence to do it and he says well because you know they won't because it's it would be bad manners they can't do it officially they'll if we can do it they'll help us afterwards but they can't Help us do it.
1: Well, because the problem is if you start doing that, it opens up a whole can of worms. Yeah. like And that's why the Japanese people wanted to return the plane after that had a good look at it, because there was this veneer of politeness and not pissing each other off too much over the whole Cold War. It's a very strange time in history.
0: Yeah. He says that back home, she had to publicly renounce him at like party meetings and on television and say that she had no idea and she had no part in it. And so she's basically okay in their eye, but they're still a little wary of her. So there'll probably be a KGB agent watching and he needs Magnum's help.
1: To bust her out because it's not like he can go do it.
0: Mm -hmm. And Magnum's little voice comes back.
1: He's mentioned the little voice before, not this season, but like last season in Adelaide? I
0: think it came up in Adelaide, yeah. He says he's got a little voice telling him that there might be something wrong with this, but he's not entirely sure what the little voice is trying to say.
1: He phones up a friend at Naval Intelligence, which is, what's his face?
0: Lieutenant McReynolds? But I guess we assume it's Lieutenant McReynolds. I
1: guess they just didn't want to waste the time bringing in the actor to do, like, a 10 second scene. Because there's not time in the episode. Yeah, for I don't know. Really. I just don't
0: know why they wouldn't have said McReynolds. Anyway, so he checked with a buddy at Naval Intelligence, and uh, Yuri's story checked out. So. I guess he's he's going to help him out. He sort of, I get the impression he would have gotten around to agreeing eventually, but he sort of didn't mean to agree. It was one of those situations where he, he asked Yuri for clarification on something and Yuri clarified it. And then Magnum said, oh, well, that's fine then. And Yuri said, great, you'll do it. Awesome. Good, good, good. Interpreting Magnum saying that's fine as, as I'll take the case. But anyway.
1: And then we cut to a track meet, which is clearly being filmed at some sort of university somewhere. That's what it looks like to me. It's
0: actually a high school.
1: Is it really? It's a nice-looking high school.
0: Kaiser High School in oh, Hawaii. There you go.
1: It yeah. looked educational to me. Sure did. And there's a bunch of Russian people running around in like singlets or. Are- tank tops that say ccp or ccp cccp there's so many c's in that abbreviation three of them but that's russian for soviet union
0: yuri points out the two guys that are with the kgb and says there may be others and gives magnum his ring so that she will know that magnum is there on his behalf because magnum is like okay you can't be here you need to go away and hide in the car and make sure nobody sees you because they will make you
1: it's not like the russians are well you've defected and now it's fine a couple defectors were like recaptured by the kgb
0: hmm so magnum waits until nina by the way her name is nina markova he waits until she's going in for the showers and sort of runs up and is like hey yuri sent me we have to we have to get away and she's like what what uh-huh what? i don't what she completely sandbags him and the kgb guy comes over and is like what are you doing why are you talking to her what's going on here and Magnum, you know, plays it cool in the bumbling way he usually does, which is like, Oh, I'm a big fan of hers. I saw her at the Olympics. I My want My
1: kids want an autograph. Uh, an
0: autograph. Do you have a pen? Yeah, I would like an autograph. Hey. The and KGB
1: the, guy is like
0: no. He is having Literal none of it. He is
1: like a stereotypical Russian KGB guy, though. He is wearing like a black suit and a hat, even though it is really hot looking. He actually like wipes the sweat off his face. Yuri says earlier
0: he knows that guy's KGB because only idiots and the KGB would wear a suit in Hawaii
1: it does make him stick out like a sore thumb to be completely honest with you because it's a dark suit as well but magnum is rebuffed and he's like all right all right fine i'm going and the kgb agent grabs nina and takes her back to another kgb agent
0: mikhail filipovich yes and they discuss like this guy this american came over and was talking to nina like what did he want and she says she doesn't know koliga the other guy the guy in the goofy suit is like He said he wanted an autograph and Mikhail says, okay, it's okay, Nina, you go off and you have your shower. And then he tells Koliga, you watch her super carefully.
1: So it's all very interesting. And Magnum comes back. Empty handed. But Yuri is not in the car. No. He's just like waiting for him just like just up from where he was. And Magnum's like, what are you doing? Get, no, you can't do that. And
0: you idiot.
1: Yuri is kind of dumb. He's very stubborn, I guess.
0: His whole thing is he hasn't seen Nina for a year and he's very much in love
1: that's very sweet but also he doesn't really want to get recaptured if i feel like if we were in this situation and i was like no i must be reunited with my podcast host so we can record more episodes of the magnum rewatch and we must defect i would still be waiting for you somewhere else so i didn't get reapprehended by the magnum hating authorities i guess
0: okay i tell you what we'll do kathleen we'll meet back here in three weeks and
1: record another okay (laughs) good the point being Yuri is all pissed off and he's like frustrated and kicks a garbage can. And Magnum is like, oh, why'd you have to do that? And he's like, look, we'll do it, you know, after trying to quit. But then, you know, he feels bad and he tells Yuri, I will help you. But one, we have to use my plan from now on because your plan was dumb. Two, you have to be more patient. And three, you can't like hang around when we're doing it because it's way too dangerous for you. Don't be dumb.
0: There's a nice character bit from Yuri here as well when Magnum asks him why he defected. And Yuri explains this with the metaphor, I ate too much. Magnum says, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, if you eat too much, it comes back up. I ate too much of
1: propaganda and indoctrination and state lies. And I just couldn't take it anymore.
0: Yeah. And he just horked it all up and left.
1: I mean, he misses his family and Nina, though. Yeah. Sometimes he doubts it, but then he also just went to the Grand Canyon, which was awesome. So he's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, he talked about that. How
0: it was a childhood thing, he always wanted to see the Grand Canyon, but he, of course, never could. And just a couple months ago, actually, he finally saw the Grand Canyon and how it steeled his resolve, I guess. And then hopefully he will be happy. So Magnum comes up with a plan. If only TC can get the friggin' slide projector working.
1: Apparently slide projectors are finicky, and then the slide's upside down, and Magnum's like, come on, TC, and TC's like, "Geez, I haven't seen you be such a cranky CO since Nam. And they keep referencing a plan that Magnum made in Cambodia, yeah. where things did not quite go so well, and TC even says, I don't know, the last time you were in charge of a plan, I got shot. It
0: was a plan to get a bunch of POWs out of Cambodia. Didn't work, though, I guess. No, apparently it worked, it's just that TC ended up with some scars afterwards
1: you gotta break a few eggs etc etc but magnum is convinced this plan is better
0: also this is the first episode it's been like it's been made very obvious that magnum was in the navy and in naval intelligence this is the first episode to make it flatly clear that magnum was a u.s navy seal
1: which at the time was something a lot of people didn't even know about
0: it was pretty unknown to the public what a navy seal actually was and magnum is the very first navy seal to be portrayed in television or film Good for Magnum. Good for Magnum. It's a little a little weird in this particular scene because he's bumbling around with Rick and TC, but he explains the plan. This is the resort where the athletes are staying. This is a KGB guy. This is another KGB guy. This is a third guy that he calls the Turk because no reason. He just looks like a guy who Magnum decided to call the... Turk. Magnum's also kind of uncomfortable about this nickname now that he said it out loud. And he thinks he might also- I think it sounded
1: cooler in his head. He's like a regular looking dude who's wearing a gray suit.
0: Yeah, and he thinks he might also be KGB. And the plan is they're going to distract the two KGB guys, then go in and get Nina and get out.
1: But wait, TC says, so there's two KGB guys. So, you know, we take care of those.
0: We need two people to distract those people. And we need one person
1: to run that and we need like a point man. We're short one person. And Magnum's like, that's okay. I know just the dude.
0: And we're like, really? And the scene cuts to Higgins setting up a miniature battle recreation with figurines of... What battle was it? I can't remember now.
1: It's something in the Napoleonic War.
0: It looks like a super impressive uh, Warhammer set. Oh
1: yeah, I was just thinking, this is an amazing Warhammer prop.
0: <laughs> Except instead of, you know... Space
1: Marines.
0: The Skaven or something, it's... Uh, british and the french anyway he's taking pictures of his miniatures and magnum comes in and they have an entertaining back and forth about the miniatures and then magnum starts asking him some stuff i actually have the text of this
1: oh do you want me to read for higgins
0: oh sure it's oh, it's the battle of austerlitz because he's lecturing on it at the napoleonic the hawaiian napoleonic society That's right why. which
1: meets the first tuesday of every month
0: sorry it's not the british and the french it's uh General Kutuzov is mentioned.
1: Who's that? Why didn't I look this up? Trivia fail.
0: The Battle of Austerlitz is one of the most important and decisive engagements of the Napoleonic Wars. Well,
1: history fail as well.
0: <laughs> it was victory was achieved by Napoleon annihilating a larger Russian and Austrian army led by Tsar Alexander I and Holy Roman Emperor Francis II.
1: Oh well, good job, France. This has been in. En- Incredibly misremembered history with Graham and Kathleen. Anyhow, so, this is how this scene plays out.
0: Magnum says that he needs Higgins' help. He just says, I need you to help me with a case.
1: Then will you be willing to negotiate for my participation?
0: Not in the least.
1: Good. We'll start with your use of the hot tub. What did he say?
0: Not in the least.
1: Good night, Magnum.
0: Of course. Oh, Higgins, you served in Vienna after the war, didn't you?
1: I was liaison to the Soviet Army of Occupation. You knew of that?
0: Yeah, they kind of pushed you around a little bit, didn't they? The Russians? Made you hand over defectors? POWs? Hate to think what happened to those poor people.
1: The Soviets were our allies then. We were carrying out national policy.
0: Yeah, I know. How do you feel about it?
1: Magnum, a soldier often has to do things that are disagreeable.
0: Yeah, there's disagreeable and then there's disagreeable.
1: <sighs> it was loathsome them and I shall never forgive them. Are you satisfied?
0: How would you like to get even? And then he just smiles like a git.
1: And we know now that Higgins is totally on side. And I'm like, what could they possibly be using Higgins for? And, I'm, and I called this in my head. I was like, they're going to use him to bore someone into submission.
0: Also, this is the first time we've heard about a hot tub at Robin's Nest.
1: It never comes up again, though. It's like no. this mythical sauna, isn't it? It will be it?
0: the last time we hear about a hot tub at Robin's Nest.
1: You know, I bet when Obama moves into this estate, he'll put in a hot tub.
0: If it doesn't already have one.
1: I mean, it might now. It might now. It's been a while.
0: Yeah. We then go to the resort where the athletes are staying. Magnum and Yuri are sitting in a car. And Magnum
1: tells Yuri to stay put this time. He's
0: really clear about this. He's, he says, you seriously have to stay here, please. And Yuri's not happy about it, but he will. And he kisses Magnum on both cheeks.
1: And it's like, how European.
0: Oh. And then Magnum goes to work. So yeah, the first thing we see is Kolaga, and Higgins walks up to him and says, "Excuse me, how you, you're a, you're with the the Russian team, aren't you? Are you are you a member of the Soviet Party?" And he he says, of, "Of course I am." How dare you? And he's like, "Well, I'm from the Hawaiian Socialist Society. I have some questions I'd love to ask you." And just sits down and starts going on about Marxism and
1: aggressively boring him, bending
0: this guy's ear.
1: I feel like this is covered under the politeness because if you do have people who are interested in the Soviet Union, you can't look like an asshole because they want to. To engender some sympathy, and that they're not all bad guys, and this cold war is stupid, and you know that's why they send people to athletic meets and stuff like that. I feel like he's kind of contractually obligated to listen to Higgins prattle on.
0: Yeah, Rick is taking care of the other distraction. He's disguised himself as a member of the press, which you can tell because he has a big badge that says "press" and he's carrying a camera and some recording equipment. And he's sneaking around back because he has a suspicion about a member of the Russian track team.
1: Not Nina, though. A different one, Olga.
0: His thing is that he suspects a member of the Russian women's team, the shot putter, is actually a man. Or so- or in mostly disguise. a man, somewhat or, a man. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's, um, or that she's been taking testosterone or something. This was, what is he actually trying to say here? What's, what's the real world thing?
1: <clears throat> okay, so here's the deal. There is an, a history in sports of women athletes who are doing particularly well being sort of subjected to gender identification. Uh, you might have heard of Castor Samantaya who is a South African runner, I believe, and she was doing really well. And some people were like, she's not actually a girl. She's intersex, meaning she has male and female sexual organs which means you have more testosterone and testosterone uh, one of the things it's responsible for is helping you build muscle mass so it gives you a huge advantage right that's why weightlifters like to take steroids and testosterone and stuff like that Caster Semenya, by the way, is absolutely 100% female. However, this was a scandal at the time. But what this comes back to is a, actually a German named Dora Rajin. This person competed for Germany in the women's high jump, finishing fourth at the 1936 Summer Olympics, but was later discovered to be male. But here's the deal. When he was born, they said, it's a boy. And they said, oh, wait, no, it's a girl. So he had some ambiguous genitalia there. So his parents brought him up as a girl. This was the 30s. They didn't have testing available to determine what his actual gender was. So his parents brought him up as a girl. And he realized at the age of 10 or 11 that he wasn't a female, but he was like, I guess this is just how it is. However.
0: So he identified as male, even though he'd been raised as a woman. Yes. He identified as a man, but competed as a woman at the games. Yes, yes. Oh, that's very confusing.
1: It's very confusing. So after this, they were like, maybe we should have a system to examine the sex of female athletes. According to a Time magazine article at the time, the United States Olympic Committee President Avery Brundage said that maybe the Olympics should look into sex ambiguities after he had observed uh, a athlete from Czechoslovakia and an English shot putter saying, hmm, are you really girls? Interestingly, both of those... Uh, People later had sex change surgery and legally changed their names. This has sort of recurred again and again.
0: There doesn't currently exist, it seems, a solution within international sporting games to support fluid genders.
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, none of these people are trying to mislead people. Like, there's another Polish athlete who competed in the 1964 Summer Olympics in Tokyo and did well she won a bronze medal but then she failed a gender test in 1967 because she was found to have a very rare genetic condition she has xx xxy mosaicism so how is she supposed to know that how are you supposed to know that without getting a genetic test you just think you're a good athlete you don't know you have like this extra sex chromosome that's giving you a slight advantage wow so this is kind of a, a horrible problem to get And it w- and the
0: thing in. is it was It was honestly almost a joke at the time, the sort of the the Russian women's weightlifting team or whatever.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of them were doping.
0: Yeah, but because, you know, because they perhaps looked more masculine than other female athletes, there was this sort of, I guess not even joke, this derision that, oh, they're just a bunch of dudes. They're not actually women, whereas they were. They were also cheating.
1: There's a big history of East German and Russian athletes doping and taking anabolic steroids and that will make you look more male if you're a female but that is
0: it's a very complex issue it's an incredibly
1: complex issue i can't sum it up here i really believe that most of the people that get and i hate to use this word but like sort of caught up in this because like caught implies some guilt have no freaking clue they have a rare genetic disorder there's probably people out there who have no idea that this affects them because you have no reason to ever be tested no but basically it would disqualify you from competition mm-hmm. under the olympics rules so it's kind of a deal
0: so rick thinks that's the case with this shop putter well he or doesn't actually he he's does just he, he, him he's completely made this up rick doesn't honestly he's trying to bs this guy so the guy will escort him away which he does and it works and they leave
1: yeah rick puts up a fuss and then he has to call like security and stuff and all of that it's a big mess
0: with the path clear magnum and tc can run in and finally talk to nina And Nina says, I don't want to go with you. I don't want anything to do with this. And Magnum finally shows her Yuri's ring. And she reacts and allows Magnum inside and says that she appreciates it, but she doesn't want to go. And Magnum says, of course, of course, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't. That's what the voice was trying to tell me. I shouldn't have done this. And she says, wait, wait, wait. I mean, I do, but I shouldn't. It'll go badly and we'll get caught and it's all going to be awful. And Magnum says, no, no, we have a plan. You just need to come with me really right now.
1: And then finally, after like three attempts, they go.
0: And he finally convinces her that, yes, Yuri's alive and wants to be with her and it'll, everything will be great and let's go.
1: Meanwhile, are- while this is happening, the Turk is like, oh, I see. The Turk has spotted Magnum and TC and is now sort of like waiting.
0: And just before they go back outside, her roommate shows up and... TC makes a noise to make sure that Magnum knows to stay inside until she's walked past. And she does. She just, she walks up to like a sign outside, reads something on the board, and then keeps moving. She has broad shoulders, that lady.
1: She looks like she's a professional shot putter.
0: She's also, by the way, I, I haven't talked much about the actors in this episode because almost unanimously, it's not that exciting. It's just
1: like, I've had a few bit parts kind of thing. The
0: actors who play Yuri and Nina have like between 10 and 20 credits on imdb each they're all like one-offs and in episodes of something the guy who plays kaluga his name's alan rich he's been in a ton of different things again just as individual roles but this lady olga is played by marianne mueller i'm mispronouncing that i apologize And she has been working since 1981. This is actually her first role. And then did the same sort of progression as everyone else where they're doing one-offs in episodes of shows and stuff.
1: Wow, I'm looking at you scroll past her IMDb profile and it is lengthy. Yeah. She has worked consistently since 1981.
0: Oh yes, one of her biggest recurring roles was recent, actually it was the TV series Passions.
1: Oh, that's like a soap opera, isn't it?
0: Yes, it ran from 2001 to 2008 and she played Norma Bates in 100 episodes of Passions.
1: I see that NCIS, another Donald P. Belisario show is credited there.
0: Yeah, she had a recurring role in The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody as Sister Dominic. She had a recurring role in Third Rock from the Sun as Lucy she also did an absolute litany of voice parts in Fallout New Vegas. Oh wow. Like she voiced Alice McCafferty, Old Lady Gibson, Pearl, Ethel Phoebus, Daisy Whitman, Ruby Nash, Caddy Clara, Irate Ida, Malefic Maud, Rancorous Ruth, different Maud, Jeannie May Crawford, Marjorie, New Vegas citizen, and traveling merchant. They really ring those voices out of these people.
1: Well, if each of them have a line or two each, right? Yeah. You don't need to cast 10 people to record 10 lines of dialogue.
0: She also played a character called Nana Waffles in a show called Zeke and Luther that I've never heard of.
1: What's she been doing recently?
0: She's been in anger management. She's been on the market. She was in three episodes of Mike and Molly as a character named Connie. So yeah, still getting work. Wow, good for her. Yeah. Oh, she was the tattoo artist in Memento. Oh, right. And she was also, she's also credited as wrong Sarah in the Terminator.
1: I vaguely remember that.
0: Like I said, by far the most interesting of the guest actors in this episode. What were we talking about? Oh yeah. So they escape from the resort room now that Olga has moved on and the the people are are distracted and they manage to sneak away. TC gives Higgins the cue that he can stop pestering the KGB guy. And then just when Magnum and Nina think that they're going to get away, the Turk approaches them and says in his thick accent, hey, what are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, he's not actually a Russian KGB guy. He's
0: he's the house detective, whatever that means.
1: So Magnum responds with, "Okay." and knocks him the F out so he doesn't have to answer his questions, and they peace out.
0: He does try to talk his way through it. He's like, well, we're sneaking around because she and I aren't technically married yet, and if people saw us together, there would be questions. And he says, all right, give me your ID. And he goes, oh, okay, let me just grab the wham! Let me give you the worst stage punch in Magnum so far.
1: Yeah, it's not great. It's I would have taken that again. I would have, Why would they use that take? I don't know.
0: I guess they didn't think it was that bad until they got into the edit bay, and they and were, they were like, like, oh, that's not a great punch. Oh, well, we're stuck with Well, that's the best we have. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to do a reshoot just because there's a punch that looks wonky. No. Anyway, so they get away. They're free. Everything's great. They get back to Magnum's car. There's a bullet hole in the windshield, blood and glass on the seats, and Yuri is gone.
1: That's what the little voice was trying to tell Magnum. Nina was bait to get Yuri back. And Magnum is, like, really upset that he didn't see it.
0: He's super annoyed with himself. Not assisted by the fact that when we go to the next scene back at Robin's Nest, Higgins and TC are both really laying into magnum just like boy you really messed this one up huh like how didn't you see this coming boy you're an idiot
1: now to be fair one if yuri had stayed away this wouldn't have happened Right.
0: Yep. If he stayed even further away than Magnum wanted him to.
1: And two, doesn't this kind of break the Soviet the be nice code? I guess like the KGB did try to reapprehend defectors, and Magnum's like, oh God, what's going to happen to him? And Higgins is like, well, they'll probably parade him around and say he returned, and and you know, have him denounce the decadent West, and then I don't know, which probably means gulag, execution, torture. You know, they weren't exactly nice to their own citizens, especially ones that made them look bad.
0: It's a good trick if you can make decadence sound crappy so what to do well
1: <laughs> magnum comes up with a fairly ridiculous plan
0: it's quite ridiculous actually but because apparently it works we see it happening it cuts back to the track the other athletes are still practicing and mikhail the other kgb guy sees that annoying reporter from the resort walking by snapping pictures
1: and the guy is like Ugh. like he like grimaces
0: so and he gets up follows rick rounds the corner where Rick socks him in the gut and then knocks him backwards into an open laundry cart that TC has placed behind him. And they quickly wheel it into the Island Hopper's van and get the F out of there. They just absolutely kidnapped a guy.
1: Are there any consequences here? Nope.
0: Now, why doesn't, because Higgins asks a reasonable question that we should address, and the episode does address it. Higgins says, why don't we get the authorities involved?
1: Because Magnum says it'll be too slow.
0: Yeah, he says it's his client and he feels responsible. And by the time we go to the authorities and they do the bureaucracy and they get it figured out, Yuri will be back in Moscow.
1: So they have to act immediately.
0: So Mikhail is sitting there in Higgins' wicker chair, all alone in a room with Magnum, who is slowly tinkering with his gun and just repeating, where's Yuri? And he says, I'd know nothing. Where's, where's Yuri? I will not tell you anything.
1: And he's like, you can't do this to me. I am a member of Russian team. We have agreement. You cannot just kidnap me. Otherwise, we can kidnap your citizens. And Magnum's like, oh, well, see, that's not a problem for me because I work independently. I don't play by those rules. Then Magnum shoots the lamp behind this guy's head and it goes through the wicker chair about an inch away from his face.
0: He fires two shots that perfectly go on either side of this dude's head. Magnum's a really good shot.
1: That's probably a brown trouser moment.
0: Oh yeah. He probably caught some hair with that on the way by with the you, bullets. You
1: would have felt the whiz. You would have felt the air as it went by your head. Yeah. And then you would have heard the lamp shatter behind you because it's literally right behind his head. It's a great shot. Like It's, it's really good. And then they cut away. Presumably so you don't see Magnum pistol whipping the crap out of this guy.
0: Well, he assume, he presumably tells them what the plan is with Yuri. Because we then see Yuri, unconscious but alive, being loaded into a coffin that is itself being loaded into a truck that drives away and parks on a pier. Uh, specifically the same pier that we saw in The Ugliest Dog in Hawaii. Not that that matters.
1: We notice these things, so you don't have to.
0: And then they wait. They just sit there and wait.
1: Because a boat is going to come and then they're going to put the, the goods in the boat.
0: And Magnum and Rick pull up in a smaller boat in an inflatable Zodiac.
1: They kind of like drive it under the pier. It's very clever. Good thing the tide was low, eh? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Magnum climbs up on top of the pier, sneaks around behind the truck. He can see in the rearview mirror that the guy on the passenger side is reading a newspaper, so he can't really see Magnum. So Magnum goes to pick the lock on the side door. And he tells
1: himself, do it slowly. Gets the lock, pick into the lock, and realizes it's unlocked. Oh. It's a funny moment, honestly. (laughs) And just
0: gets inside and starts looking around in the coffins.
1: And he's like, oh, because, you know, presumably some of these have dead bodies in them. That's a little gross.
0: Eventually, the two guys up front go, all right, well, let's get things ready for when the boat shows up. And they get around and they start letting themselves into the back where Magnum is. Oh, no. But just as they're opening the doors and discover that there might be something up because they find some of the straps that Magnum was messing with, T.C. buzzes the dock in his helicopter and lands. And one of the guys says, who's that? What's I'll go see who that is. So he goes over to try and talk to T.C., and TC is an, amazing at stalling. because he,
1: He's just sandbagging the guy because he, he refuses the, to get out of the chopper. He
0: leaves the chopper running and w- won't get out. And is yelling at the guy, just saying, the plans have changed. And the guy says,
1: what? What plans? And then TC goes, what? And he's <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. What? I
0: don't... What? And so eventually he gets out, you know, he tries to be like, there's a different pier, you gotta go to this other pier. Oh, is there a boat? Yeah, they'll probably be there now. And the guy says, okay, well, we'll go over there, and then turns to leave, believing TC, and sees the boat that they're waiting for actually arriving. He's like,
1: wait, what about that boat? And then TC just knocks him she just clocks him and gets back in the helicopter and flies away flies
0: away meanwhile in the back of the truck magnum jumps out of a different coffin and attacks the one guy in the back of the truck while rick is now also up on the up on the pier helping him out and then we see the two guys get back to the truck realize that magnum and rick are still around and they can hear them piloting their boat under the pier so they're trying to find the boat race to the end of the dock take a bunch of shots at the zodiac which gets away because they aren't good enough shots i guess and they're at a bit of a distance
1: uh i will just chalk that up to movie magic yeah
0: that's fair and they go well i guess they got away i don't know what they were hoping to do because they didn't certainly didn't get away with any of this stuff
1: yeah all the coffins are still here they all still like what okay fine whatever
0: so the russian boat arrives they load yuri's coffin on and a guy opens it up and inside the coffin is mikhail
1: so they did the switch
0: they actually did a they actually had the time and manpower to do I, the only thing that doesn't make sense in this episode is how rick managed to get mikhail's body up that ladder by himself that actually makes no sense. No, Mikhail. Unless is... they might have ditched it there earlier? No.
1: I have no idea. Maybe? Mikhail is not dead, by the way.
0: No, he's just unconscious. So that means that they got away with Yuri's body. It, it's, it was under a tarp, so it wasn't really obvious that they had it.
1: There's him. some suspense there as they're opening the coffin to reveal it.
0: Then we cut to Yuri and Nina making out in the Garden of Robin's Nest.
1: Yeah, they're super happy. Obviously, they've contacted the CIA. And that's it. That That is the end of that. Their story turns out fine, they are happy. They are kissing and muttering sweet nothings in Russian, I guess.
0: And then the camera pulls back and Magnum and Higgins are discussing and Higgins is pretty happy about it. He says it's eminently satisfying to know that as a result of this, a few heads will roll in Moscow. And talks about how the Soviets tried to recruit him once, but of course it didn't work. Magnum starts talking about strategy and planning and he's playing with some of Higgins' little figures and talks about a time where he had to hold this battlefield against an equal number of forces on the other side. And
1: Oh, and, and we're thinking, oh, this is the battle in Cambodia that Rick and TC keep needling him about because they have to hold against forces on their own lines. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I
0: actually called this right away, but Magnum keeps talking about this situation. And, and
1: Higgins is like, what was uh, what was the terrain like?
0: Magnum says, completely flat, but it had rained the night before, so it was pretty muddy.
1: And Higgins is, Mm, interesting. Well, it looks like they've flanked you on the right side here, and you've set up good defensive lines, and I feel like you made a strong strategic decision, and sometimes that's the best you can do. Magnum, and this is a genuine moment yeah, from Higgins.
0: Magnum says that he certainly thought it had been the best he could do, and it turned out okay in the end, but... Letting through a touchdown in the first quarter was really annoying.
1: I think it's just like, what?
0: (laughs) Hey, this was the Army-Navy game. This is a big deal.
1: Are you telling me this is about football? This is the
0: Army-Navy game.
1: This is legit. This is basically the exchange Magnum thing. and Higgins are having. And
0: Higgins wanders off in a huff, and Magnum. Gives H- Higgins is like. Pfft. Magnum <laughs> gives a massive, massive, like crap-eating grin to the camera and the double eyebrow wiggle, like in the opening titles.
1: Yeah, we haven't seen that for a while, but yeah, this is Magnum. Like, look, at the camera, smirks. He's like, "Hey, how you doing?"
0: And I'm like, "I'm, I'm fine."
1: Meanwhile, women and gay men everywhere were like, "Oh my god, I hope I got that." Hit hey, record. No Uh, PVR, right? Yeah. And that's it. That's the episode. That was solid.
0: That was a really (laughs) fun episode.
1: I really liked this episode a lot. I thought it was definitely the best episode of the season. I would give it actually higher than a 7.8.
0: Yeah. I would give
1: this episode like probably an 8.
0: There was all the fun and action and stuff. There was cool character moments from the core cast. There were some cool character moments from the guest stars. Nobody acted in a way that did not seem human, and there was no sort of gaping issues that left us going, What? What? Why did what?
1: I mean, it's all very, like, sort of convenient and A-teamy and heisty and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: but that's that. That's what I want from Magnum. That's perfect, as yeah. far as I'm concerned.
1: I thought it was great. I love this episode. Yeah. This episode gets a big thumbs up from me. If you haven't watched a Magnum episode yet, this is a pretty good one because you get to see all of the characters do their thing.
0: Yeah, that was a solid episode. Next time, which again will be the week of July 20th, we'll be looking at, it's going to be a big one because it's a two-parter oh it's memories are forever
1: well there you go we're taking a break but we're making it up for you by doing a two-part episode which will probably be a very long podcast also ooh, memories are forever has a 9.4 according wow. to the people at magnum Mania. and it's written by donald p belisario who wrote j Ticker doyle and that was an episode i also quite enjoyed
0: well, he's written many good episodes as well
1: the point being i'm excited
0: me too Until next time, a reminder that our show is brought to you by you, your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. We really can't do this without you. It supports everything else that we do as well, and we hugely appreciate it. And I realized there was one more very small piece of Magnum Rewatch housekeeping, thanks to Derek, aka Tenson, who let us know on Twitter that the papaya that we were so confused by in the previous episode was actually a green coconut.
1: That doesn't make it less weird.
0: Yeah, it's still super weird that Magnum just chucks this coconut in the passenger seat of the Ferrari before going to talk to Higgins. But the point is...
1: It was a coconut he was taking for a ride and not a papaya.
0: Yeah. So there. So until next time, Zeus, Apollo, put on these costumes and act out the Battle of Austerlitz.
1: This is irritating because this week for the little stinger of the episode, Baxter has been up in our grill the whole time we were recording. He like jumped on the back of your chair for a while. There's probably going to be some errant meows that make it into the final cut of this episode. But now he's asleep. Cavern's asleep. Both cats are completely asleep.
0: Uh, you know, being asleep sounds great right now. Let's go so to sleep. I might just do that.
1: Okay, good night.
0: Night.